Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Water Cooler. I am Tara Merchant. David Brody will be back next week. Well, today, President Biden announcing his plan to revamp the nation's infrastructure. This alongside a revenue-raising plan hiking taxes from 21% to 28% for the nation's largest corporations. The White House says the American Jobs Plan is a once-in-a-century capital investment and insists it will create millions of jobs. Highlights include modernizing 20,000 miles of highway, repairing 10,000 small bridges and 10 economically significant bridges as well. Next month, the White House is expected to unveil the second part of its recovery agenda, which will focus on the cost of health care, child care and education. It's dismissing claims tax hikes will be a drag on the economy. Well, today, prosecutors continue laying out their case against Derek Chauvin, the fired Minneapolis officer charged in the death of George Floyd. Chauvin, who was seen in disturbing video kneeling on the neck of an unarmed black man, is charged with second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. He has pleaded not guilty. Let's go to the news senior writer, Joe Weber, who is monitoring this trial for us. Joe, what is the latest? Okay, so we're looking at day three of the trial, and we heard today from a young man by the 19-year-old, by Christopher Martin, who was an employee at the Cup Food store where um, Mr. Floyd went in to buy the cigarettes prior to the arrest. Um, See, he's a very vivid in detail. Um, Mr. Floyd there, he comes in a couple times. He seems to be um, maybe predisposed, preoccupied, rocking. Uh, He passes the bill. Um, the employee, the 19-year-old, said he realized it was counterfeit at the time, but and there was a po- store policy that said if you take one and you don't address it, then it's in your, you know, it's on you. You're going to have to pay for it. But he took it anyway, and then he thought better of it and went out and talked to Floyd. It shows the uh, SUV Mercedes out front. Um, now, in the larger picture, uh, what we saw yesterday and today is sort of the police. This is a uh, prosecution, a defense witness. But what we saw earlier yesterday, I wanted to point out that Danella Taylor, who was 17 at the time, 18, a minor, we didn't see her face uh, because she was a minor. But you can really see where the defense is sort of making this case that uh, they continually ask her, were you agitated at some point, just like they asked Ron Williams, who was the first on the scene, to suggest that some of these early eyewitnesses have gone from maybe like um, citizen journalists or, you know, innocent bystanders to advocacy, you know, were you agitated by this? And they all said yes. Yeah. All right, Joe, thank you. We'll check back in with you later. Great analysis. Appreciate that. Well, more criticism for the Biden administration after reporters get a look inside an overflowing migrant center in Donna, Texas yesterday, largely filled with children who made the dangerous journey alone with the help of smugglers from the drug cartels. As the COVID-19 pandemic rages on, thousands of these migrants are housed there 
in close quarters with no solutions to curb the flow of traffic seemingly in sight. Officials warn that the U.S. could see a million migrant encounters at the border this year. Critics have linked the overwhelming numbers to Biden reversing Trump-era policies like the migrant protection protocols, which kept them in Mexico for their claims. Well, lots of reaction since Georgia's governor signed a controversial election overhaul into law last week. It includes new restrictions on voting by mail and greater legislative oversight of elections. It is facing legal challenges and getting national attention as accusations fly over the impact it is going to have. With us now is Governor Brian Kemp. Governor, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. You have said putting hardworking Georgians first starts with ensuring that your voice is heard and restoring each and every citizen's confidence in their vote. How does this law do that and does it start immediately? Well, it's very simple. This law makes it easy to vote and hard to cheat in Georgia. It replaces a arbitrary signature match process on absentee ballots with the voter ID. It secures drop boxes uh, that we now have in the law when we didn't have that before requires county elections officials to continuously tabulate the ballots until every vote is counted. And then it expands uh, early voting opportunities, especially on the weekend. So this outrage from the left and really the faults and errors out there is just, uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, among the criticism, your Democratic critics say this is a way to suppress voter turnout in a state where demographic changes have had a huge impact on recent election cycles. Joe Biden was the first Democrat to take Georgia in 28 years. And after the Senate runoffs there, Democrats did gain control of the Senate. Opponents are even using the term, quote, Jim Crow 2.0. Is that fair? No, it's it's not fair. They're lying to people. They reserve the domain name for Jim Crow over weeks ago before they even knew what was going to be in the final version of the bill. And it's just, it, it's hypocrisy at its finest. Joe Biden, as you know, got a four Pinocchios fact check from the Washington Post about the things he said the other day, because it's not true. 134 out of the 159 counties in our state are actually going to be adding voting hours during the early voting period to give more access. I mentioned the, um, access for more weekend voting, securing the drop boxes, which when the public health state or emergency went, goes away in our state, the drop boxes would have gone away if we hadn't codified that. In the law, there's, there's counties that didn't use the drop box last election. Now they're going to be required to have at least one. So, you know, this narrative in the playbook was already written, Tara, long before they knew what was in the bill. And uh, people are being misled. Corporations are being pressured and threatened with boycotts and you know we just got to stand up and tell people what the truth is and that is that this continues to make for secure accessible fair elections in georgia there is also a group of voter mobilization groups filing suit in federal court right now challenging the new law and possible financial fallout as well they're calling on boycotts of the georgia-based companies including home depot coca-cola delta aflac among those facing backlash right now your thoughts well, it's outrageous that they will want to boycott Georgia companies and hurt hardworking Georgians that work there when we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I hope they receive a lot of backlash for that. That's ridiculous. And for people that are going to wither to that, um, I think they need to take a really hard look because they are not looking at the facts of this bill. A great example is yesterday, um, you know, Governor 
Murphy in New Jersey is tweeting about their success of having nine days of early voting now, and Stacey Abrams is up there celebrating with them. Well, we have 17 days of early voting in the state of Georgia, and they're wanting to boycott us. I guess they'll be boycotting New Jersey next. Well, I like to talk COVID. You are now in quarantine after being exposed. You did get the vaccine. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Just uh, another day or so to go. Unfortunately, I got vaccinated Friday, got exposed uh, Saturday, but I tested negative again last night, feeling good. Now, earlier last week, you did announce you would expand access to the coronavirus vaccine to all residents over the age of 16 and now plan to loosen the state's remaining restrictions, calling it a critical step to return to normal. Um, this is President Biden is asking all governors to reinstate mask mandates and is warning of impending doom. Is he wrong? Well, you know, I'll let the president answer that question. We're in great shape in Georgia. Our hospitalizations have dropped from over 31% COVID patients to down below 6% uh, or below 7%. They're very low right now. Our cases have been declining and now kind of flattened at a, at a fairly low and manageable level. Our percent positive is down as good as it's been um, pretty much at any time during the pandemic, we vaccinated over 75% of our seniors in our state. And now we have vaccines eligible and, and literally are given thousands and thousands of shots every day, moving on to the next phase of going to homebound folks, working with churches and other civic groups, going business by business now. So we're in great shape to reopen our economy, which quite honestly never really closed. We just had a couple of sectors that we had some limitations on like restaurants and movie theaters and entertainment venues and things of that nature. But this is a critical time in our state for the jobs that have gotten hit the hardest in Georgia, which is a service industry, convention center business, parts of the tourism industry have done well here, but other parts have not, hotel occupancies. And these folks can't go through another year of what they went over the last 12 months. So. Uh, we're working right now on fully reopening and, and moving forward, and but, but still encouraging people, look, get vaccinated, follow the public health guidance. People know what to do, do now. We've always trusted them with that in Georgia. They need to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, and uh, we've done a good job at that. Governor, real quickly, we've got about 30 seconds left on immigration. Are you concerned at all that you're going to have any migrant situations in Georgia? They are flying all over the United States and they do keep coming every day. Any thoughts on Georgia and that situation there? Yeah, in my opinion, President Biden needs to focus on the southern border and not be so worried about uh, untruths that he thinks he, he understands about Georgia's voting bill. We have Georgia National Guard working with Border Patrol, flying missions, doing fleet maintenance out there on the southern border in Texas. I was out there in December and the word, I got a briefing just the other day, and it's it's uh, turning into a crisis out there. So the pictures you're seeing are real. That's going to be devastating for our country. And I think many of our states as well, as these individuals overflow into other states outside of the south, southwest. Governor. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and uh, best of luck uh, to all of you there. And uh, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back. Ken Cuccinelli served as Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security in the Trump administration, acting Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and was the Attorney General of Virginia, among other things. Ken is here now. Ken, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. So what do you think the thinking is behind Joe Biden's border policy? Everybody, by all accounts, knew these numbers were going to go up, and they're expected to keep climbing now for months at least. Why is he staying the course? Uh, well, because they want these illegals here. So, um, you know, that's not the natural reaction we have. Um, you know, you expect presidents to enforce the law, and they have no intention of enforcing the law. They, at the same time, this is their border policy to invite hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens into the country. They're also putting through two amnesty bills through the House of Representatives, and they're putting a voting bill through that will register folks to vote before they're even citizens um, and before they can legally vote. So these things are all tied together. Uh, this is not a mistake. It's a mess. It's a disaster. It's a crisis, even though they won't admit it, but it is not unintentional. Vice President Kamala Harris is supposed to be taking the lead on this border surge. Why is the president not front and center on this, as was President Trump? And do critics think either one of them or is taking this seriously? Not critics, rather, but, you know, do, do they think they're, they're, you know, looking at this and saying, hey, at least this is a serious problem? I think they're calling it a challenge. Yeah, they're politically afraid of their own base. And so neither of them wants to be the point person for actually commencing to enforce the law, something they haven't been doing up to this point. Yet it's the only way to stem the tsunami, uh, the invasion of illegal aliens that's happening at the southern border. And I mean, you have Democrat congressional reps, you have Democrat local officials. So this isn't partisan. They're complaining, too. So as a matter of border policy, it's terrible. Um, this has uh, much bigger implications, though, and they have much bigger plans for it. There's enormous cost to taxpayers. In fact, Senator Marsha Blackburn is making headlines uh, criticizing them for spending $86.9 million on, on hotel rooms. Uh, look at that, $284,000 per migrant family. And a lot of the uh, COVID-positive migrants, that is where they are staying as well. Uh, the Biden administration reportedly entering into a six-month contract to house 1,200 migrant family members near that southwest border in Texas and Arizona, and that's 71000 by the way, $666 a piece. And this is just the beginning. Can, that's it, just it, six months. Is this sustainable? <laughs> no, of course it isn't sustainable. And, um, I mean, they could literally buy a low-end house for the price of six months in the hotel for a family. I'm not suggesting they should do that, but that's the unbelievable extravagance they're willing to go to to keep this flowing, to keep this going. Like I said, they want large numbers of illegal aliens invading the country. They view them as future voters. 
You know, how concerned are you? I just got back from the border myself in Texas and talked to a lot of law enforcement there because Border Patrol, frankly, has told us they are not allowed uh, to talk to the media, though I guess they did some of that yesterday with a tour. But anyway, how concerned are you about drug cartels sneaking people through while they are so distracted by the numbers coming through of the migrant families? I heard that time and time again. This is a distraction. Well, let's be really clear. It's very intentional on their part. Uh, The cartels, the most evil, vicious people in the entire Western Hemisphere, control the Mexican side of the border. And that's a hard thing to comprehend from the American side of the border, but that's the way it is. It's one great big toll booth. They say who goes through, how much they pay, and where they go. And that gets to your question that I know concerns law enforcement along the border because they use the human flows going in one direction to uh, occupy border patrol there and then send the drugs in another direction um, or other illicit people or substances. So this is very, very uh, contrived. This is not unintentional, the random wanderings of, of tens of thousands of illegal aliens. They are directed where to go And it is with a plan on the part of the cartels to exploit where they're going uh, to then move other products into the country without opposition. Politically, in your opinion, what's at stake here for the Biden administration and other Democrats? Because clearly this is not going away. We saw what COVID did to President Trump's reelection bid. Are voters going to be okay with this border problem come election time, be it the midterms or in four years? No, the polling is clear that this behavior is so extreme that there is not support among the American people for this. Um, And, um, you know, what electoral consequences will have, you know, I think it's a little early to to say that'll depend on how they respond to it over the next year, year and a half. But all indications, I mean, they picked Mayorkas as secretary. He calls enforcing the law inhumane. When you hear him use the word inhumane, it's typically applied to the idea of actually enforcing the law and deporting people who are here illegally. So that is their administration policy. So you you can expect them to try to ameliorate the crisis aspect of this, but I don't know how you do that if you don't stem the tide, stem the flow. That's what we did, it was successful, but it took a lot of different programs in place. It took a dozen international agreements. And within the days of Joe Biden becoming president, he shredded those agreements and they stopped using those programs that had proven so effective. I've heard a lot of people, uh, just regular citizens say, how do we ever go back? We're going to get to the point of of no return. A lot of people saying that they feel frightened, those who do not agree with Biden's border policies, and they fear for the future of the country. And again, you know, as we said, there do not seem to be any plans to make this right uh, for the migrants either. What do you say to the American people who just are kind of throwing up their arms and saying we're done? Well, you know, if you say you're done on your border, you don't have a country. And um, so uh, the longer this goes on, the more uncomfortable, more Democrats get with it. I mean, the first video footage we saw came from Democrat Congressman Henry Cuellar, who represents Texas near Laredo and around Laredo on the border. And uh, he complained about this. He has a history of complaining about 
this kind of treatment and we're seeing video of children stacked up like cordwood in a pandemic. Can we have to run? I'm sorry to cut you off. I apologize. We have a heart out. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. President Biden will be talking infrastructure shortly. He plans to split up his next massive government spending push into two programs and will lay out his vision, the proposal including green energy programs. The second proposal, which the administration plans to release this month, will focus more on child care and health care programs, among other things. Some believe splitting up the plan will increase his chances of getting all of this done. With us now is Jordan Seculo. Jordan, what do you think of the kind of money being spent on things like green energy, especially when you consider what's happening right now on the border and the expense of it. Should he be tackling that first? Absolutely. I mean, we've got a border crisis. We have not come out of the pandemic. We haven't reopened our country. So I think it's forward-looking fine to talk about infrastructure when you talk about federal highways, airports, bridges, but that's not what they're really talking about. That'd be a very small part of the multi-trillion dollar infrastructure bill that they're talking about trying to get through this summer, likely having to use the reconciliation process if they haven't yet already done away with the filibuster at that point, Uh, because it's gonna be tough to find 10 Republicans to go along with this in the normal legislative process in the Senate. But with the Green New Deal items like the retrofitting for climate issues, and uh, they're also talked about, Jin Psaki talked about this as the White House press secretary, that they're also going to come out with a social infrastructure program that will be a part of this multi-trillion dollar plan. I mean, what, what does that mean? That sounds like right out of the Chinese central planning kind of Marxist idea that, that there's going to be social infrastructure. So again, they use these words like infrastructure and they put the roads in there, but the roads and the bridges and the airports are a very small part of what they actually mean by infrastructure. You know, speaking of money being spent, when we were in South Texas last week, we saw sections of huge wall, border wall, some 100 plus feet tall, just laying around, uh, waiting to go up. It's all been paid for, uh, by the way, as you know, and 5,000 people were put out of work when that border wall construction stopped. Do you know if anyone is challenging the decision to stop that construction in court? There are at the state level, of course, but this is something the Supreme Court has been clear about, Tara, is that the federal government really is the is the ultimate player when it comes to and the deciding factor when it comes to any issues involving the border and involving immigration. So you remember back that Arizona case uh, back under the Obama administration where Arizona wanted to deputize their local law enforcement to be able to carry out uh, immigration and work alongside ICE. The Obama administration opposed that. The Supreme Court agreed that while the federal government could allow it, they don't have to. So if they don't allow it directly because it falls under a duty of Congress and the executive branch under Article One of the U.S. Constitution, uh, they the, the courts have been uh, again very weary of letting states and localities 
even though they're the ones bearing the brunt of this problem right now, uh, to actually deal with it themselves. It almost sounds like there's, there's, you know, there were so many lawsuits as President Trump tried to get through his agenda, but it almost sounds like there's, there's no recourse here. Is there at all? I mean, it's like you said, it's well, the federal This is level. the responsibility. I think, Tara, what the, the, the real issue is that this is the responsibility of President Biden. The buck stops with him on the border. And that's exact. that's what President Obama argued in court uh, uh, through his Department of Justice under his term, is that no Arizona can't do this. We do this. The federal government does this. So everything bad happening at the border right now, all the kids back in cages, all the new cages being built, all of the drugs being smuggled in, the terror groups that are utilizing the weakness at the border uh, and the catch and release policy being reinstated, all of that falls on President Biden. He tried to pass it off to Vice President Harris, but the buck stops with him and the federal government. It's up to him to secure the border. And I think well, you know, going back to this infrastructure issue, when we're trying to reopen our country and we hopefully totally reopen by you know this summer and we get into fall and school's gonna be normal, hopefully, for most kids around the country, uh, we hope, but yet, but they're, they're not even dealing with this crisis now. And this is another group of people that are coming through with lots of them have COVID, Lots of have issues, and I, I just think that it's trying to distract the country from what's happening at the border. And they make it try to think, oh, it's only about Texas, Arizona, California issue, until your town is picked by the federal government as a town where they're going to drop off 2,000 people. And then your town's got to deal with it and has to deal with the cost of, of what to do with those people, because that is what is happening around the country already yet again. And it's because of the bad policies put in place immediately by Joe Biden. You know, the other thing I'm sure you've heard as well, in San Diego, teachers are uh, choosing, volunteering to school migrant children, yet they've been out of school themselves for over a year now. Your thoughts on that? And, and gosh, what can parents do? It is that fair? You know, we've assisted over a thousand families at the ACLJ during uh, COVID, these shutdowns of schools, Tara. And we've what we have looked at is exactly... Um, you know, what we could do to get them the equipment they need so they could do school from home, all of that. We, and we were, we've been successful, but now we should be at a point, right, where the teachers have been vaccinated. They should be reopening. Now, San Diego schools are only reopening at a hybrid level on April 12th, so just for the end of the, the, the school year. But these same teachers who are in the unions that are preventing the schools from opening, you know, two months ago or a month ago or a week ago are, are the same teachers who will go into and teach these kids who have definitely, uh, by the way, a lot of them testing positive for COVID, into really bad conditions, not the, the, the ideal conditions uh, for, for, for schooling right now with a pandemic going on. They've got no problem with that. It just gets back to the issues. These teachers' unions, it's why school choice is important long-term. I think a lot more people have come alongside the idea of school choice under this pandemic than ever before because they realize the control these teachers' unions have over their children's education. Uh, Jordan, just a, uh, about a minute left. Uh, when I flew home on the plane uh, to get back into D.C., the plane was full of people who had just come in from, from South America, South American migrants flying into Dallas. A lot of people were very concerned on the plane whether or not they could be exposed to COVID, not, not knowing if they were positive or not because a good number are coming here with COVID. So... Your thoughts, what can Americans do who feel like, you know, in that situation, it's very awkward. I mean, do we, do yeah. Americans have any rights in these situations? 40 you seconds. Know, the, the, <laughs> the first job of the president 
of the United States is to take care of, of, the, of the American people, to keep us safe and to keep, uh, to keep our economy working, to keep us open, to keep our businesses open, our country open. It's not the migrants. Uh, it's not the crisis. The, the crisis at the border needs to be handled for us, not for the migrants. And it's Jordan. not to be heartless because it won't work unless they actually put a plan in place. So I, I think, again, this is the failure of an administration, and it's causing all the problems we're, we're discussing today, Tara. Jordan Seculo, really appreciate your thoughts. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll be right back. Thanks. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. Rick Green is a constitutional expert and founder of the Patriot Academy. He is here now to help us unpack some of the day's headlines. Rick, it is great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Tara, my pleasure. I, I don't know what it is, but the set today looks so much better for some reason. <laughs> you're gonna hurt. You're gonna don't hurt. Tell him you're gonna hurt David's feelings. Hope <laughs> <laughs> going well. I appreciate that. Well, as you know, the Biden administration had been preventing the media from entering that facility in Donna, Texas, where many of the migrants are being housed that is overflowing at this point. It, yesterday, uh, a press pool did get in to take a look around. I know know what extent they got to look around, but is it constitutional for the Biden administration to limit access like this? As a member of the media, we had good access, or better at least, when President Trump was in office. Is this okay? Well, you know, certainly there are times when national security requires that you don't allow the press into a particular area. That is clearly not the case here. Reporters have been talking about the fact that they have never dealt with this with any president. I mean, even back when Obama was president, they were able to go in and take pictures and cover what was going on. So this is very different. This is certainly at this point a violation of the First Amendment freedom of the press. And I mean, even for our U.S. senators, the video of Ted Cruz down there trying to, to get a handle on what's going on. I mean, that's his job, certainly a senator of, of my state of Texas, and uh, prevented from even being able to document what he saw. Uh, this, is, this is an administration that has something to hide. They don't want people to know what is happening down there. It's a humanitarian crisis. They know the American people uh, will respond to this and want it to change. And uh, after all of their talk and all of their rhetoric, frankly, their lies about Trump and, and the cages and all of those things, uh, now we see that not only are they hypocrites, they have made it absolutely worse. I'm not sure they're doing a great job of hiding it because I will tell you, having just come from there, the media is crawling all over that place uh, to get a look at what's going on. So, you know, speaking again of the border crisis, there is an article dated from the 26th of March from Town Hall, which says the U.S.-Mexico border is in shambles. And once again, America has an illegal immigration crisis on its hands. And it says there is only one person to blame, President Biden. What's interesting is the headline says President Biden's border crisis borders on treason. Now, your thoughts on this, and is Ted Harvey the only one who's talking about that? Well, I mean, he has certainly he has certainly made decisions that are harming the nation's, he, he, nation. He has invited an invasion. I mean, he has signaled for this to happen. Uh, the results are obvious, 100,000 in February that were actually caught 
150,000 in March, so a 50% increase in, in one month. Um, and again, that's only the ones that are caught. Look, I've got friends on the border with ranches down there. This is not only a humanitarian crisis, it's a criminal crisis. Um, it, the, 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 the cartels are running the show and a lot of lives are being lost. But to the point of treason, I mean, at this point, it is endangering the nation. I'm not sure I'm ready to call it that yet. Uh, it'll depend on how he responds and whether he just continues to ignore what's happening. Uh, I don't think he's capable of responding at this point uh, mentally and, 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 and physically. It's sad what we're seeing uh, happen. But the administration is certainly culpable in, uh, in the destruction of our border at this point. When President Trump was in office, it seemed like so much of his agenda was really cut off at the past by a barrage of lawsuits. Do you think Republicans are going to take the same route or advocacy groups, whatever, using legal means to try to stop some of Biden's agenda, whether it's on the border or some of these massive spending plans like infrastructure coming out later today? Yeah, definitely. And I think the attorneys general are the tip of the spear here. They, they've got to be the ones pushing back, fighting back. Ken Paxton's done a good job of that here in Texas, already uh, won a couple of preliminaries. So yeah, I, I think that will happen. I don't have hope that the court will go our way, uh, despite the appointments on the U.S. Supreme Court, despite the supposed conservative majority, which I'm not so sure is there. Um, I, you know, Unfortunately, when it comes to these kind of battles, it seems like the court always leans to the left and finds a way to approve of the Democrat actions and disapprove of the Republican actions. And so I, I don't have a lot of faith that that's going to happen. I think the states themselves are going to have to step up. They're going to have to finish what Donald Trump started at the border. We were making so much progress, not with, just with the wall, but with discouraging this kind of thing. And, and frankly, lives were being saved because parents in these Latin American countries weren't thinking that somehow they were going to send their kid to safety and that, that somehow Joe Biden was going to welcome their child. I mean, there are kids that are losing their lives, being put into sex trafficking because of this. Uh, so I think the states are just going to have to step up um, and do the job that the federal government should have been doing. You know, what about kids in San Diego? I'm sure you've heard they're being taught by teachers in person, those teachers that volunteer, but they're only looking forward now to some hybrid learning. Um, your thoughts on that? Is, is that okay? And, and do parents have any recourse to get their kids back to school if the kids are being taught? Uh, by teachers and kind of the COVID argument uh, certainly would be a little bit weakened. Yeah, Tara, this is, uh, you know, I'm hoping one of the silver lining things out of this whole COVID chaos of the last year is that it, it has awakened a lot of parents to, to realize that the public schools are not, they're not for your kids. They're for the, for the teacher unions. Uh, their decisions, their policy decisions um, are always made in whatever's best for the teacher unions. Not all teachers, I'm not saying that, but certainly the unions um, and not for the kids, and we've seen that play out over the last year. These kids are not a danger to anyone. The science and the data is so crystal clear. I mean, it's not even questionable at this point. Um, they don't transmit, they don't, they're not in danger from the virus. To mask them, the psychological damage, all those things, let alone what you're saying, which is they're not even being taught. We're not even allowing for that education to take place. The long-term effects of this are, are just horrific. I mean, these are the worst public policy decisions frankly, not just of my lifetime, I think maybe in history, the economic, the psychological, all of the damage that's coming from uh, from this selfishness, frankly, uh, of these decisions by politicians and teachers unions. Uh, Tara, I don't know, you know, the, the damage is going to be seen for years, but absolutely, these parents should be pushing back. They should be demanding that the money spent on their child normally should be given to them to be able to go to a private school or to homeschool. This should create more school choice across the country to let the parents decide what is best for their child. 
Yeah, certainly we're going to be hearing a lot about this, all of this in the coming days. Very quickly, the vaccine passport, good idea or bad idea? Oh, horrific, unconstitutional evil, I would say. I mean, look, when Europe is saying we're not going to require a vaccine passport, we're not going to do these things, that's not freedom, and we're doing it. When Europe is more free than America, we got some real problems. And here again, the states have to push back. Thank God for Ron DeSantis leading the way in Florida. I wish my own governor here in Texas would take note and do the same thing. But the states are going to have to say no vaccine passport. Our state is free. If you want to go to New York where you don't live in freedom, that's your choice. You can vote with your feet. Uh, but again, the states have the power. The legislators have the power. I hope they'll step up and use it. All right, Rick Green from the great state of Texas. Thanks for joining us today. All right, stick around. The last sip is next. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, welcome back to the water cooler. Time for the last sip of the day, and here is today's poll of the day. The water cooler poll of the day. All right, that always makes me laugh. Would you rather live in a community where guns are outlawed or in a community where individuals are allowed to own guns? Here are what the Americans said. 26% want to live where guns are outlawed, but 63% want to live where individuals are allowed to own guns. 12% not so sure. Let's bring in Joe Weber, senior writer at Just the News. Joe, a decisive desire to live where guns are legal. What do you make of that? Well, a couple of things. Real quick, one, I want to point out that these polls are from Scott Rasmussen, who does exclusive polling for Justin News, and he was one of the very few people who accurately projected that President Trump would win uh, the 2016 election. So his, his polling is accurate. What I find befuddling, again, is the 26 percent who wouldn't want to live in a community where uh, guns were uh, legal or, you know, not outlawed, as the uh, as the poll said, we just saw was things like uh, defunding the um, uh, police in communities like Minneapolis. That was, you know, a disaster. And the other aspect that the idea that we already know the Supreme Court has broadly ruled that the Constitution allows broad constitutional rights uh, to have a gun. The idea that you know you want to protect your home and your family. Um, I don't really know who that 26% would be. I'm not really for or against, but I would think that you would want to have an opportunity if someone came to your door to have that, op you know, at least that option. Uh, the other thing is that the poll is broken down as one would expect 83% of the Republican respondents. This was about 1,200 registered voters. 83% of Republicans said yes, 45% said no. Yeah, a lot to take in there, especially with that poll so far and away in favor of guns at a time when the debate is back at the forefront. Uh, Joe, thank you for joining us. We sure appreciate your analysis. Uh, certainly a lot more to come on gun control and gun ownership in the days mm -hmm. and weeks to come. We will be right back. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. 
I love my Skims Wireless Form Bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my Wireless Form Bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. All right, perhaps you've heard the news. President Joe Biden will not throw the first ceremonial pitch on opening day at Nationals Park. He last threw a ceremonial pitch back in 2009 as vice president before the Baltimore Orioles play the New York Yankees on opening day at Camden Yards. And this has been a tradition since William Howard Taft began the tradition way back in 1910. With us now, Joseph Curl. He has covered politics for 25 years, 12 years as White House correspondent and columnist and editor of the Drudge Report for four more years, and he's got all kinds of wonderful experience and insight on why Joe Biden is not going to throw that opening pitch. Why not? <laughs> well, the, the, the bad thing about an opening pitch is if you throw it right over the plate, it doesn't make much news, but a bad pitch just lives forever. And, and with the Internet and, and Google, there are some pitches that your, your listeners might want to go out and, uh, and, and, and find them there you know, 20, 30 years old of just the very worst pitches. So there's there's not a lot of upside in it, except for the fact that you're you're proving you can throw a ball a, a, across the plate. But I think that's also part of the problem. I mean, you know, Biden's had a lot of health issues, and we all saw him stumbling up the stairs on Air Force One. I, I think the consideration was let's just not take a chance of, of having a really awful pitch that lives forever. Yeah, when you put it that way, I wouldn't do it either. You know, it is defense. Donald Trump didn't throw out the first pitch either because he didn't like the bulletproof vest under there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's an amazing story is that um, when, when, you know, yeah, imagine how hard it is to throw with a bulletproof vest. But when I was covering George W. Bush, I was lucky enough to be in the pool that went up to New York um, City to Yankee Stadium shortly after um, September 11th attacks um, that killed 3,000 people in the U.S. and it was just an electrifying moment. I mean, Bush obviously was an owner of a, the, a baseball team, the Texas Rangers, and was a huge baseball fan, an athlete. And it was really something to be there. I was on, you know, right at third base when he threw that pitch. And, um, you know, Americans at that point, it, was, it wasn't quite as, as divisive and partisan as it is now. Um, but Bush wasn't well-liked. And still, when yeah. he came out, you know, he was the American president. He had a great response to 9-11. It gives and, me chills um, just to think about up. it. It gives me chills just yeah. to think about it, Joe. Joe, we are out of time, but uh, it's great getting your perspective on this, and uh, I guess we're just not going to see it this year. Thank you for joining us. Um, we'll see you next time. Uh, the Water Cooler will be back tomorrow. Have a great day.